everyone. Thank you for joining us today. We appreciate you watching the broadcast. I have a very special guest, and I'm excited for her to be here, my wife, Carolyn, and she's going to be talking about the power of the blood of Jesus. Carolyn, this is something that you've taught in our Bible school, you've taught in church, you've taught in various meetings, and every time you teach it, the anointing of God is so strong, and everybody loves this message. So it'll be her first time to teach it on our television broadcast, and she's going to be talking about this for four weeks. And I want to encourage you to make your plans to join her. Don't miss one of them because they just get richer and richer as she goes. Thank you so much for coming today and, and uh, taking the time to teach on this powerful subject. Well, this subject is so dear and near to my heart. It was something I was raised with. And uh, there wasn't a day that went by that mother didn't pray that over us as yeah. Jan and I would go to school. So this subject is a revelation that's been lost to the body of Christ, and it's time that it was resurrected yes. and that we familiarized ourselves with the power and the blood of Jesus, and it became becomes a living revelation to each yeah. and every one of us. Those of you who are watching, I want it to become that real to you. That is a living revelation, not just something that you've heard about, maybe growing up over the years, but that it becomes real to you. The blood of Jesus becomes a living thing to you. So let's get started today in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. That verse says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Power in the blood of Jesus. You know, uh, you're going to learn, there are several things we're going to learn as we start in this session. We're going to learn about the life in the blood. We're going to learn about the blood covenant. Uh, we're going to learn about the value of the blood, and we're going to learn how to plead the blood. So before we get started, let's pray. Heavenly Father, today as everyone is sitting in this audience listening to the Word of God, I pray that the revelation of the blood will come alive on the inside of them and that their life will not be the same from this day forward. Father, reveal to us the preciousness of your blood, and we just thank you for it, that by it and through it we will live an overcoming life. All right, we're going to begin at the beginning in the book of Genesis, and we're going to take a little journey all the way through. Usually I only have a small amount of time to talk on this subject, and there's no exception today. So we won't waste any time. We're going to get right into it. Um, a quote that I want to quote is from A.E. Mitchell, and he wrote that the bloodline is a circuit or makes a circle, and none of the precious things of the divine economy are born on earth, but they're born in heaven. The blood has but one terminal, and that's in heaven from which it came. Um, everything starts in heaven, comes to earth, and ends up back in heaven. Uh, one of the key scriptures that I want us to become familiar with is 1 Peter 1, 18 through 20. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but you were redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb, the blood of Christ, as a Lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before and was manifest in these last days for you. The blood of the Lamb. David also broke uh, the Greek meaning for the word precious. It means held at great price, 
costly, valuable, honorable, highly esteemed, and beloved, especially beloved. The blood of Jesus was not an afterthought of the Creator. God was not taken in surprise at the fall of man, and God never placed catch-up to Satan. If he did, Satan could lead God instead of God telling Satan how it was going to be. God is always ahead of Satan. God knew before he created man, and he knew that man would fall, and before God formed man, oh, I love this, he foreordained man that we would be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb before the foundation of the world. 1 Peter 1.20, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Now, these scriptures uh, always puzzled me and left a big question mark in my mind. What do they mean? But Brother Jesse, in a conference years ago, made this statement. He said, God finished and then he began. That was the title of his session that day, God finished and then he began. He ministered on how God in his wisdom thinks the plan through and he finishes it, then he says, let's begin. It's much to me like an architect drawing out the plans and he lays the plans down and he says, okay, I finished with the planning, now let's begin. So began the building of the house. So that's what God did. He had all of this laid out as a plan before the foundation of the world and he said, let's begin. So in God's mind, he foreordained the creation of planet earth and of man. He saw the fall of man because he was going to give man a will. Lucifer had a will and used it to cause high treason in heaven itself. And then he was able to convince and talk one third of the angelic host into fighting against God. So they also had a will. But the thing that Lucifer and the angels that were created do not have in them was blood flowing through their veins. They were spirit beings. So God knew there was a possibility that man could choose another way. So God always had a plan, a way to redeem mankind. God says that he is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and the end, or he knows the beginning from the end. You were redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb from the foundation of the world. You see, in heaven there was a meeting called, and God the Father says, let us make man in our image. And when God put forth the plan of man before the foundation of the world, we see that the heart cry of the Father, that he wanted to be in fellowship. He wanted to be able to have communion and a relationship with creations that were created on his same order. So God wanted a family so much, a creature that would love him. So God made man in his own image and in his own likeness. And he said, let us make man in our image. Oh, think about it. We are made in the image of God the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So a creature called man that serves his divine purpose, that man was to have a will and not just be a robot. And he knew that that man's will would be tested and that man would fall. In heaven, before the Holy Spirit began to move on the waters of the earth, they, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, talked over this man and what he was going to do. And that he was going to be given a will and that he was going to fall. So what did God do? 
he asked Jesus and Jesus offered himself to God without spot or wrinkle. Look at Hebrews 9:14. The King James says, "How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your dead works to serve the living God?" Jesus offered himself through the eternal spirit to God. When when did this happen? Before the foundation of the world, when they were talking this plan over in heaven, Jesus stepped forward and told the Father God, I will be the one who will go and offer myself. I will be the one to offer my blood for mankind. This was done before the foundation of the world through Jesus, through the eternal spirit. So looking at this plan, we find out that Jesus stripped himself of all of his divine privileges and offered himself as a sacrifice on the altar for us. Psalms 40, verses 7 and 8 says, Lo, I come in the volume of the book, and it is written of me. And verse 8 says, I delight to do thy will, O my God. You know what? The father said, and I'll go and I'll fix man. I'll go and take care of this situation that man has fallen into. So God knew that man would fall and God had a plan before man was even made. Isn't that exciting for you to hear and for me to hear and know that God had a plan, that his love was so great for us before the foundation of the world? King James says, and being found in fashion as a man, Jesus humbled himself. He stripped himself of all of his heavenly privileges and became a man. Luke 10, 18, Jesus talking about the 70 that went out and the 70 that came back. He said, said unto them in King James, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. And also in Hebrews 10, 5, the King James Version, wherefore when he cometh into the world, Jesus... When he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared me. Just think about that. A body was prepared for Jesus. And think about Jesus saying, He beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. When God had had enough, and when Satan talked one-third of the heavenly host into usurping, trying to usurp their authority against God, God kicked them out. He said, I've had enough. And Jesus beheld Satan as lightning fall to the sides of the earth. And that's when the earth became void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Oh, but think of the great love God had for man. He had a plan, oh, in his heart that he could redeem man from the fall of Adam. And oh my goodness, you and I are part of that great plan. And we were mortal man. You know, God took the dust of the earth and he made and formed it and breathed life into it. And blood was in that man. The composition of blood has the life of God in it. And that's what makes us so much better and so much greater than the angels because they, we have blood flowing through our veins. The angels are just spirit. They're spirit beings. So through our body, we have blood flowing through it. Now, in Hebrews 10, 5, the King James says, Wherefore, when he cometh unto them, or unto the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. So to be born on planet earth, you have to be born of a woman. You have to have a physical body to live in this earth, to live here legally, 
Charles Cap says, if you come any other way, you're an illegal alien. You don't belong here. So Satan does not belong here. He was not born of a woman on planet Earth. He is an outlaw spirit that is here on planet Earth. So we are here legally because we're born of a woman. So Jesus had to be born of a woman to be legally on planet Earth. In Ephesians 1, 4, it says, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Glory to God, beloved in whom we have redemption through his blood. The, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. The Amplified Version in Ephesians 1.5, In Him we have redemption, deliverance, and salvation through His blood. Listen to this. The remission, the forgiveness of our offenses, of our shortcomings and trespasses, in accordance with the riches and the generosity of His gracious favor, which he lavished upon us in every kind of wisdom and understanding, practical insight and prudence, making known to us the mystery or the secret of his will. Now here we go, of his plan and of his purpose. And it is this, in accordance with his good pleasure of his merciful intention, which he has previously purposed and set forth in him. He planned for the maturity of the times and the climax of the ages to unify all things and hold them up, head them up, and consummate them in Christ. Both things in heaven, things on earth, in Him we also were made God's heritage portion, and we obtained an inheritance, for we have been foreordained, appointed beforehand, according with His purpose, who works out everything in agreement with the counsel and the design of His own will. Think about this. Those scriptures are enough to shout about. He worked all of this out ahead of time and has made us God's heritage and portion that we obtained an inheritance and were foreordained, chosen, and appointed ahead of time for this purpose. Because of what Jesus did, we don't have ordinary blood coursing through our veins, but we have royal blood coursing through our veins. The blood of the living God is coursing through our veins. When you get born again and you ask Him to come into your life to be your Lord and your Savior, then you don't have contaminated blood coursing through your veins, but you have the redeemed blood. You have the blood of the Lamb. Where sin has been removed now, and that royal blood is coursing through our veins. I think of a story about John G. Lake. When the Blue Bonnet Plague was running rampant in South Africa, John G. Lake could take that virus, put it in the palm of his hand, and put it under a microscope, and that virus would literally die in his hand when it con came in contact with the divine blood of God. John G. Lake had such revelation of the blood that was coursing through his veins, and he knew that when that blood came in contact with that virus, that germ came in contact with the royal blood of the lamb flowing through his body, it had to die, and it had to die immediately. 
So we are at the climax of the ages. We're to know the revelation that the power and the blood of Jesus is all consuming. It's all conquering. It's all powerful. That there's nothing that could come up against you in your path, whether it be sickness, whether it be disease, demonic spirits, forces, principalities, powers, even rulers of the darkness of this world, that the blood of Jesus cannot conquer. Because the precious blood, this is the revelation that the body of Christ is has to walk in in these last days at the climax of the ages and that there's nothing, nothing that would have the power to overtake or overcome us in any area of our life. So let's look again in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 and 27. And God said, let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, make man in our image after our likeness and let them have complete authority over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and the tame beasts and over all the earth and over everything that creeps. <laughs> yeah, all the creeps, right? And uh, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath and the spirit of life, and man became a living soul. In verse 15, and the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and to guard and to keep it. And who was he guarding it against at this point? He was guarding it against Satan. He was guarding it to keep him out of the garden. Because you see, Satan, who was known as Lucifer, once walked and ruled upon this earth. He was given domain here. So what did he do but come back to take domain again from man? So we see this in chapter 3, verse 9. But the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you walking in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit from the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled, cheated, outwitted, and deceived me, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed above all animals and above every wild and living thing of the field. And upon your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I love this part of that verse. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And he will bruise and tread your head underfoot, and you will lie in wait and bruise his heel. I want you to see this was prophecy right here of Jesus that was foreordained that would come. So Adam's sin separated God from man and man from God. And let's look in this verse, Genesis 3.20, The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. For Adam also, and for all his wife, Lord God made long coats, tunics of skins, and clothed them. So here we see the shedding of blood began in the Garden of Eden. So it's evident that God entered into a covenant with Adam and Eve at the very beginning. And the blood covenant is based upon the oldest known covenant in the human family. Adam's sin separated man from God. And I want you to see the glory of God, which was his covering, was taken from him. 
Satan took that covering, took the glory from Adam and Eve in the garden. So God had to cover them. What did he cover them with? He covered them with coats of skin. The shedding of blood began in the Garden of Eden. I want to look here in my notes that I have. I want to read to you about the coats of skin, because I want you to see God is light and he also covers himself with his light as with a garment. And the scripture seems to hint that Adam and Eve were initially covered with its divine presence, the Shekinah glory, when they were naked and that they wore no material cloth, but they were covered with a spiritual presence which hid their nakedness from their eyes. And what I want to get to, because I know I only have a few more minutes, is I want you to know that God was the first person that had to kill an animal and shed that blood. And in the shedding of the blood, the killing of the animals, God removed its skin from the dead body and presented it still warm and wet to our first parents. So by example, the Lord impressed upon Adam and Eve the utter ugliness of sin and the wages it pays is death. Someone or something had to die for that blood to be shed and for Adam and Eve's nakedness to be covered. And you know what? The penalty of sin is death. So God had to kill an animal, a precious animal that he created himself and that he put blood into. So blood was shed for the man, Adam and Eve. And think about it. God killed the animal and God brought that skin to Adam and Eve and he clothed Adam and Eve himself. Is that just a picture in itself for it to still be warm? As David Asselbrook says in his book, that God removed its skin from the dead body and presented it still warm and wet to our first parents. And by this example, the Lord impressed upon Adam and Eve the utter ugliness of sin and the wages it pays is death. So in like manner, Jesus' death provided payment for the penalty of sin and escape from its power. Glory to God. In uh, 1 Peter 3:18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh. So the substitutionary sacrifice was Jesus. He died in exchange that we might be set free. Glory to God. Doesn't that give you something to shout about today? That Jesus was our substitute? It's appointed unto man once to die. Think about it. Jesus died in our place. Oh, I'm telling you, if you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, today and right now is the time. So bow your head and ask him to come into your heart. Ask him to be your Lord and Savior and accept his sacrifice today. There is power in the blood of Jesus. In the four CD teaching set, A Revelation of the Blood, Carolyn Savell reveals powerful insight into the true meaning of the blood of Jesus. Learn how to use the blood to protect your family, overcome sickness, and achieve victory in every area of your life. We've sang about it for years. Now learn how vital His blood is for you. In the life-changing book, The Intensity of Your Desires, 
you will discover how to reach the heart of God and receive the very desires of your heart. If you've ever wondered why some prayers are answered and others still aren't, then this book is for you. Stop praying hit and miss and learn the key to unlocking the answers to your prayers. Request this powerful combo by Carolyn Savell, a revelation of the blood and the intensity of your desires. Call or go online to jerrysavelle.org. Don't wait. Learn everything you can about the power of the blood today. I can't tell you how important it is for you to get this material. If you'll go to jerrysavelleministries.org, they'll be happy to help you. You know, this information is so vital to the days in which we're alive in. And before we close today, I want to continue and give you one more point. I want to talk about also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made coats or tunics of skin. And there's a rule of interpretation in the Bible, commonly known as the law of first mention. When something is mentioned in Scripture, then it carries that connotation all the way through Scripture. And uh, this principle teaches that whatever topic first appears in Scripture, it's a basic truth that's laid down throughout Scripture. So the further mention of the topic, the foundation to its further study, and the word blood our substitution and death do not actually appear in this verse. The thoughts are readily apparent to the honest heart. Um, God requires the shedding of blood. Here are seven points I want to give you before we finish for today. God requires the shedding of blood for sin. Number two, the sinner must be covered with the blood. The life is in the blood. God provides the sacrifice. Don't you love that point? God provides the sacrifice. Number five, God himself covers the sinner. Number six, the innocent dies for the guilty. And number seven, God brings judgment upon the sacrifice. So God requires the shedding of blood for sin. The Lord made coats of skin from the animals. And in so doing, its blood was shed and poured out on the ground. So the shedding of blood was necessary for the remission of transgression. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin or forgiveness in Hebrews 9, 22. To be specific, and we should be, it is the blood that makes the atonement or covering for the sinner, not the death of the victim, which is the means of that blood. So this is spelled out for us in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. So cleansing and is done for us through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. When God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, Romans chapter 3, verse 25. I want to uh, read that one to you again. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. Also, I want us to look at 1 John Verse, chapter 2, verse 2, and he is the propitiation for our sin. The, uh, the nouns Paul and John use in the literal Greek means exactly what it is rendered, propitiation. What is the most interesting here is the fact that the verb form is connected with the Hebrew form, and it means the sprinkling of blood. And as our propitiation, Jesus made himself an atoning 
sacrifice at the cross. Can you believe how blessed we are that God was the sacrifice for all of mankind through his son, Jesus? God made that sacrifice through his son, Jesus. We're a most blessed people. Well, if you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, today's the day. Right where you're at, bow your head and pray this prayer with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, I see that Jesus died the death of the cross and shed his precious blood for me. I accept him into my heart today, and I thank you for you, Jesus, being my Savior and my Lord. 